You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubiton. This week on the show, my talk with Mandolin Orange. For nearly 10 years, the North Carolina folk duo comprising of Andrew Marlin and Emily Franz have made their quietly powerful, deeply entwined harmonies sing out from stages from Red Rocks to Newport Folk Fest. We talked about how discussing Andrew's Southern family history and politics can be like fighting wildfires around the dinner table these days, and how Emily's morning running routine has made her more in tune physically with each new city she arrives in on tour. If there's one thing I appreciate most about Mandolin Orange, it's the delicate restraint in which their music is made, the lush space hovering between the voices and strings, and how they often say much more in a song by saying less. Almost makes it hard to believe that Andrew's first musical love was Pantera, and he used to play in heavy metal bands growing up. Then again, I must admit, my first band in Chicago was called Labyrinth, and I think we played punk rock at school talent shows. But hey, it's a long winding road. You never know where you're going to end up. Please stick around to the end of the show, where Andrew and Emily play one of my favorite numbers of theirs, That Wrecking Ball. Okay, here they are, Mandolin Orange. Can you introduce yourselves? Yeah, this is Emily France. And I'm Andrew Marlin. What do you guys play? I play the fiddle and the guitar. And I play mandolin and guitar and sing. So does Emily. You guys formed around 2009, right? Yep. And you're from North Carolina. That's right. And uh, we're all here in Vegas, everyone's favorite place to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do over about 150 dates or 100 dates a year? Or what, what do you average? I actually, you know, we get that question a lot and I've never counted it up. I think maybe... Um, I feel like it's a few less than it used to be. Um, Are we counting travel days or just the shows? Yeah, I think like not in your bed. Oh, not in our bed. Probably like, I don't know. It's got to be more than half the year. But um, shows, maybe maybe 100. What encouraged you guys to do this full time? Like when, when when was that decision made? I guess when Andrew and I met and started playing together, I was about a year away from being done with college and so by the time I was graduating I think we were feeling pretty motivated to be in a band that toured and made money but you know we did odd jobs and stuff until it got to the point where we didn't have to anymore what was your last jobs I did a lot of babysitting yeah I was helping uh, this landlord kind of keep up all of his houses and doing handiwork in Chapel Hill Mm -hmm. do you feel like it's sustainable, this crazy life that we're doing right now. I think if we were playing Vegas every night, probably not. But uh, <laughs> luckily, that's not the case. But yeah, I think so. I think it, it's all about how you approach it. And I feel like Emily and I have a healthy approach to being on the road and how we treat this lifestyle. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, in terms of the, the industry and how that's going to go, it's impossible to know. But I think as long as you're always kind of willing to innovate a little bit, not necessarily in terms of music, but just always try to keep your ear to the ground and figure out what you need to be changing up or what new things to try, I think it, it can be a sustainable career. What is the nastiest hotel that you can remember staying in? Um, I remember a one of those times really early on when we would always say that we were going to try and like drive through the night to the next place, which is always a terrible idea. Save that $65. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. 
Um, but then we get too tired and we stopped at a Super 8 somewhere. I don't even know where we were going to and from, but it had pink sheets. Ooh. Like, there's no such thing as pink sheets at any Super 8 hotel, so I just don't even want to know Was it like a romantic honeymoon suite? No, I think it was a... Uh. Yeah, somebody threw something in with the white sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They were pink and they were like way too soft, you know. Wait, too soft? Sheets? Yeah, like body oil soft, uh, you know. But not pilled. Were they pilled? Well, I don't remember. I blocked it out. All I remember is pink. What is the first thing that you pack when you leave for the road? We bring this um, thing called the tiger tail. Mm. That's uh, <laughs> it's for like rolling out your muscles. It's oh. a, like a stick that's about eighteen inches long and has handles on either end. A, it looks like a like a dough roller, you know, like a rolling pin. Yeah, like not. a rolling pin, but it's for your muscles, and it is amazing on like long drives and fly days, and you just sort of it's like you do it until it hurts, but it's really good for the circulation. But well, we wouldn't, wouldn't turn around for that. We no, but we would, we would talk about how it wasn't there. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. This tour's not going to be the same. I think probably pick choices. I like to have at least three picks, like different types of picks. Did you guys both start playing when you were kids? I didn't start playing until I was 14. I bought my first guitar and started teaching myself that's writing cool, songs. It's kind of late. Mm-hmm. I took um, like Suzuki violin when I was a kid and then got more into the world of bluegrass around high school, late middle school, around the time of Brother Where Art Thou came out when everybody got into bluegrass. Yeah, I think, I think that alone was very, very good for like old school bluegrassers and old timers. You know, like people like Norman Blake, you know, I think, I think he did really well off of that album. I don't think when it came out, and I still don't even think I've seen that movie start to finish, but I didn't see really? it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Not on purpose. I just never have. And um, when it came out, I hadn't seen it, but my parents, for whatever reason, got this DVD down from the mountain, which is when they like did the live show at the Ryman with the whole soundtrack, basically. And I watched that so many times, and it was really early, like Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings and... Um, John Hartford is the MC, and it was my my Compton. It was my introduction to so many of those artists. I remember, I just started playing mandolin, and uh, I'd been listening to the Skaggs and Rice album like nonstop because I was always playing guitar and playing in rock and roll bands growing up. And uh, when I moved to Chapel Hill when I was twenty, that's when I started playing bluegrass and acoustic music. And uh, I watched that with you, the Down from the Mountain. And that's where I first started Mike Compton. I was like, who in the fuck is that mandolin player? He has blown my mind. Every song he played on, he was just killing it. And so I went on this huge Mike Compton bender. Well, you've probably been able to play with some of your mandolin heroes, right? A Great few times. Man. I've never been able to hang on, but I've been able to play with some of them. <laughs> never played with Grisman. I, uh, I feel like I would just probably just die, honestly, if I sat down and tried to play with Grisman. But... But you've gotten to play with uh, Mike Compton. Got to play with Mike Compton. Ronnie McCurry. Played with Ronnie McCurry. Um, got to hang out with John Reichman a few weekends ago. He's one of my all-time favorites. So, yeah. What do you think is the future of Americana music right now? I think there's a lot of nuance involved in, in quieter music. And 
to me, I think, and like, I mean, for us too, when we have the full band, I think one of the things we try to make sure is getting across is the nuance of the music and the space that is there when we're just a duo. And I think there are a lot of bands that just dive right into the fullness from the get-go and they don't really spend time with the nuance and they don't spend time with playing quietly and figuring out, you know, how to play these delicate solos or really embrace the negative space in a tune. And I I think those are the bands to me that are sometimes overwhelming. And I, don't, I, I hope Americana's not headed in that direction. I, I hope it stays nuanced even if it does get really loud is be my hope like is there going to be a disco moment <laughs> in the americana movement uh maybe yeah <laughs> yeah I, mean, I don't some know people, some people really like disco so. I, yeah i mean when i go to see an acoustic band i don't want to listen to disco but i but I, if you listen to like john harford string band i've been on a big john harford string band kick lately I mean, they're playing dance music, you know? It's like the one beat is so heavy, and Mike Compton is just crushing the backbeat on the mandolin. And John Harford's just playing the fiddle. I mean, he's pretty much playing it the same every time. He's throwing in his, his like little runs here and there. But that is dance music, and it's very, it's kind of in your face, you know, not, not huge, like electric music, but it is dance music. So I'm sure you could bring that to a larger scale and still keep some of that as well. Have you guys played outside the country? Yeah, yeah, we were just there. We were just uh, we've we've gone to Europe a few times, and that's haven't gone to too many other places outside the country. You feel like they em- embrace the music differently over there? I don't know if I would say it's all that different. Um, I would say it's a little more of an intense listen, mm-hmm. but but for us, maybe it's not quite as much of a um, difference between crowds here and crowds there because of the kind of music we play and fortunately the folks that come to listen to us really come to listen and so we get to play for quiet crowds almost every night um, which is part of what makes performing really enjoyable for us and so going over to I think that seems to be what a lot of bands experience from people I've talked to that like crowds there just listen a lot more intensely and I think we do notice that a little bit but um, it's it's fun to what is the weirdest venue you've played in recently or back in the day we played in a geodesic dome in the middle of Illinois that was Something. a great gig, though. Yeah, it was awesome. But it was... It was, was it for, like, scientists? No, it was just... I don't know why it was built originally, but there was, like, a family... Family they, that lived there. That they lived there, but they... But it was huge, and they also used it for community events, and so they hosted a show there, and it was pretty wild. Yeah, it's cool. If you guys were invited to play on the International Space Station, and, like, you opened the show in space. What would be the opening song? Probably, it'd have to be the song called Little Worlds because it's about... Looking at the Earth from... From a distance and wanting to touch it and not being able to. Can you read me the first verse of that? Yes. See. I watched... Remembering lyrics out of context is, like, impossible. uh, I'm singing it in my head now. Yeah, uh... I watch the waves from the mountaintops. And the rock slides through the 
clouds. This whole world is going to shake someday, and I'll be somewhere looking down. Yeah. I think, I feel like the astronauts would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like, seems fitting. Very fitting. Do you guys have guilty pleasures that you listen to on the road? We yeah. went on a few 90s kicks, like 90s rock kind of pop. We would just pass the phone around, and each person in the band in the van had to choose a 90s just classic. And Girl that went on for jam. yeah, it went on for about three hours. It was great. There was some uh, hootie in the blowfish. A lot of hootie in the blowfish. Um, a little cracked rear view. Maybe a little creed even. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude. Long drives. <laughs> no. So I'm, I'm gonna read you a couple words or phrases, and each of you, don't think about it. Mm-hmm. First thing that pops in your head. We'll see what happens. Rock slide. Rock slide? Little Worlds. That's true. I just think of that song that we just quoted earlier. Is there a line with rock slide? Yeah, I watched the waves from the mountaintops and the rock slides through the clouds. So we got that one covered. Yeah. (laughs) That's where my mind went to because I've already used it. So, (laughs) okay. Did you steal that from me? Rock slides? I came up with that. (laughs) It's already written down. Metallic. I went to Metallica, the band. Don't let him influence you. Yeah. Uh. Are we supposed to be like, what is it? How does it make us feel? No, like. Because I, it makes me like, feel cold. Metallic. Uh, yeah. I, like okay. it. I think of the taste. Mm. Blood. Yeah, like when you taste blood in your mouth. Do you guys have dental insurance? No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing that anyone has? I've heard people have that. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Rug burn. Hmm. Oof. Childhood. Yeah, it makes me think of, like, pushing a Tonka truck around or something like that. Pushing a what? Yeah, like a little Tonka truck. Like oh, those, uh... I thought you said a taco truck. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you had your own taco truck? You never truck? push taco trucks? <laughs> uh... Yeah, those little yellow, like, construction. Is there something about your music that is rooted in home and rooted in your environment? I feel like if somebody's figured out how to not do that, that'd be very impressive, you know? Because, I mean, you're always going to be inspired by the thing you're most familiar with and the thing you're surrounded by. Um so yeah, I definitely think it is, and you know the people we get to play with a lot when we're home. Yeah, we have a, a community that is really important to us there, but I think also just our sense of place there is something that we value a lot. And you know, we could we have tons of friends in Nashville, and there's a huge community of musicians there. So there's a, there's always been that question of you know, do we move there? But I don't think we've ever really considered it that seriously because we feel pretty tied to where we live. The song Wildfire seems to keep coming into uh, mixes I'm playing. Like sometimes you never hear a song that comes back around and then there's like, like the universe is trying to tell you something. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember... You know, in California, where we live, there was a lot of really bad fires. Yeah. And, you know, and then after that, these 
mudslides that took out people's houses. A f- close friend, parents lost everything, and yeah. um, and that song kind of kept coming, <laughs> almost like at the perfect time. And um, can you tell me a little bit about how that song came to be? Yeah, that one hits. That's it, that one definitely hits home. Um, but uh, so I grew up in Warren County, uh, North Carolina, and uh, just had some pretty dicey conversations at home just about racism and, and how, you know, we should confront it or whether or not I should even call call out some of my friends for saying some of the things they were saying. And Emily and I both finally just came to the decision. It's like, yes, you absolutely have to because we're moving forward. You know, you have to. And, uh, and so that song kind of came out of just years of, just watching this happening and the and the history of the South and wanting and everyone wanting to hold on to that like in this past glory, but that past glory is not wasn't that glorious for so many people and it's time to let it go and move on. But uh, but yeah, I think that one definitely came out of the South and has the Southern you know roots there in that song. But it's also it's all over the place. It's everywhere in the country. You can see someone flying a rebel flag in Oregon and do all the time, so. Yeah, I think, especially traveling around, because I don't think very much of of what's going on in the country right now has anything to do with North-South. I think it's everywhere. I think there's just as much racism in Oregon and Michigan as North Carolina. And so I think... On, on some level, you know, being from the South and going and traveling all around, we feel like that's something that we want to make sure that we talk to people about. But um, I think also music is one of the few things that where you can reach someone where they're at and not necessarily have it have to be about switching to someone else's side, but just being able to access our emotions wherever they are yeah because you can play a song in a crowd of a thousand people and everyone is going to listen to that song differently and they're going to take something different from it and i definitely i i I think music is a very powerful motivator has anyone ever come up to you and said that a, a song of yours has meant something to them that you totally didn't expect um, Emily all the time. <laughs> I feel like sometimes when I write songs, Emily's like, oh, I thought you were talking about this. And it's like, wait, that's a good way to think about it. Maybe I will. And uh, No, but there, there really have been a few times that have just, it's the kind of thing that fuels you for years. We have a song called Hey Adam that Andrew wrote um, around the time that they were passing an amendment in North Carolina to basically outlaw all same-sex marriage. Um, and... Andrew wrote a song sort of out of his feelings about that and the way it was impacting so many people in our community. And multiple people have have come up and said that it was either sort of um, something that that really helped them see things from the other side. Maybe they um, weren't, were um, anti-marriage equality and, and they were able to sort of see it through a more emotional lens and also but we've also had people come up and say hey I'm gay and I love bluegrass and I really appreciate that there's a band 
you know, writing and performing a song like this, it makes me feel like I can be part of this community. And like all of those things. That's really just, powerful. It's yeah. like lifeblood. Can you read me the chorus? Of Hey Adam? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very simple chorus because uh, it just says, Our Father loves you always. And uh, it's basically just me talking to Adam of the famous duo, Adam and Eve. And, uh, <laughs> the original duo. Yes. Well, because so many people use Adam and Eve as a, as a launching pad to say why uh, gay marriage should be illegal. And it's ba- this whole song is just saying, like, whatever, Adam, you know me and you got a thing going on, man, and you're not... You know, you're not speaking up for, you know, what you truly believe, and just kind of just, just knocking that whole theory, and just out like, of the equ- equation. Yeah. If whatever higher power there is, surely they don't care. Yeah. Who we choose to love or spend our lives with. Did you guys grow up religious? Grew up in the church for sure. We both grew up going to church, but I don't think either of us ever really personally you know, took to it that much. I love the songs, though. Great songs. It made me think of uh, interpreting a, a lyric wrong. Um, John Prine's live album, which is like maybe one of my all-time favorite albums, tells a story about, um, I forget what this song's called, but, you know, the line is, in a half of inch of water and you think you're going to drown... And this mother came up to him with her son. She's like, my son loves this song about the happy enchilada. Oh, my God. We love enchiladas. Yeah. We make them at home. Happy enchilada. And he's like, thank you for writing a song about enchiladas. He's like, I'm sorry. uh, (laughs) You must be thinking of, like, a different artist. Like, I don't have any songs about enchiladas. She's like, yeah, like, a happy enchilada. And you think you're going to (laughs) drown. And it, like, made them so happy that he's like, you know what? Yeah. Just. Yeah. Don't ruin this. That's what I wrote. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you're right. Well, that is one of our favorite things to do also is decide what, you know, when when you're singing and and the phrasing of things, the pronunciation gets a little different. We come up with alternative lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, there was one where uh, in House of Stone, which is a song we have, where it says there's a free bet yet on a house of stone. And uh, this guy came out and he's like, man, are you saying there's a free baguette on a house of stone? <laughs> like, yes, I am. I spent some time <laughs> in Paris and it was... Yeah. yeah, it's a free baguette on a house of stone. What is your comfort food of choice? Mm, enchiladas? <laughs> Probably. Um, Definitely burritos. Burritos? For me. Yeah, burritos. I like burritos especially on tour, are a comfort food because you can find them most places. And if you're trying not to eat meat all the time, it's usually a filling meatless meal. Or a great meat, meaty meal. Yeah, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. How do you stay healthy traveling? Well, we definitely drink a lot less than we used to. Yeah, that helps. Um, I've, I've gotten, the last few years, I've gotten pretty into running, and definitely, I just feel like it does so many great things for my touring life, because I go to bed earlier, because I know I'm going to get up and run, but I also feel a lot more connected to every place where we stay, because 
I just I have so many more mental pictures uh, and I'm so much better oriented in a given town when I've kind of gotten out on my feet and and seen it and so I think the benefits are physical and also just um, I get a lot more out of the traveling I think yeah I, I don't do that <laughs> I don't um, but I, I do think the not drinking thing is, is one to keep yeah, in your back pocket if you're going to be traveling a lot but also eating healthy and just like forcing yourself to not get the meaty burrito and uh, and not you know just overdo it and eat a bunch of sweets we're it's definitely the aggro people in the Whole Foods parking lot a lot too you yeah. know we find a Whole Foods wherever we can. We're trying to get hit that the, quinoa. Hit that salad bar. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice that your grandma ever gave you? Uh, I don't know. I was in the seventh grade when mine died, my last one. So. She gave you a lot of ragtime songs. She stuff. did. She used to play awesome. a lot of ragtime piano. So um, I don't really remember anything she said specifically, but I do remember her playing piano, so that was a good thing. My grandma was full of a lot of great advice. And um, this isn't really advice, but one of my favorite quotes from her that I guess you could apply to your life is, uh, she said, now when I die, don't do an autopsy because it was either from a leave or butter. (laughs) A leave? A leave, like the pill. Yeah, (laughs) or butter. (laughs) That's a she, great quote. That's awesome. Yeah. She she lived how she wanted. She's in North Carolina, too? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're going to be doing this 20 years from now? We're sort of a short-term kind of sights. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think in some form or another, we'll always be playing. It's hard to know what anything's going to look like in 20 years. Yeah, I think I think if everything goes great, then uh, we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, I think I'd like to be definitely still playing in twenty years. I'm curious if you have any ideas of how would people starting a band right now is it sustainable? Like, what would they do better than you did ten years ago? I mean. I don't know if it's so much what would they do better, it's just what would they do differently because it's just it's different already now than it was when we were starting out. And I think yeah, I don't know. Just I just embrace the live show. I think I mean you, you can't get in to being a tour musician if you don't enjoy touring and playing music because that's what you're gonna have to do for sure. But but also, I mean, I encourage anybody to get out and play music and do it because it's a great way to see the country. It's a great way to see the world. It's a great way to meet a bunch of people and just broaden your mind a little bit. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with trying to make a living, but that's only one side of it. Yeah. You have a favorite place that you've played? A bunch of them. But, uh, Red Rocks is pretty cool. <laughs> got to play the Ryman with Josh Ritter not long ago. That was that's awesome. So awesome. You know, getting to sing in that building was an honor. Is, is there a, an energy from the stage there that you felt? I think there's an energy in the room for sure, but it's hard to say whether it's coming from the room 
or from the players or from the audience because everyone's stoked because it's the Ryman and they're all really it's like a destination yeah. so everyone's really excited to be there people on stage and in the audience included and that's like the I feel like the best equation for having a great show regardless of which side of the stage you're on if there were one artist dead or alive that you could play a show with who would it be and I would I would love to sit down and play a show with Doc Watson. Would have been a lot of fun because he was a very. It seemed I, I'd never met him, but it seemed like he was very just off the cuff player, like down to just play. He's music. from North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Jerry Garcia. Jerry would have been fun to play with. What about you, Ian? I don't know that I like super enjoy playing with people that I idolize because you just want to listen to them and you don't want to think about what they think of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be judged by Stevie Nicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I don't, it's it's impossible to like feel like you can do your best when you're that nervous or anxious. So I'm always happy to just sit back and listen to people and that's just as much of a thrill. Like I got... Brittany Haas is one of my favorite fiddle players, and she plays in a band, a bunch of bands, but um, one of her main projects is called Hawktail, and I got to see them at a house concert like a week ago, um, just sitting in the front row in a room with like 25 people, and it for me, it was just awesome to get to sit there and sit that close, and there were no microphones, and just watch her play and hear it and see it that up close was like just as thrilling as if we had been playing together guys thank you so much for uh, doing this with me yeah. yeah thanks for coming in and doing it we're gonna do a song called that wrecking ball <laughs> Stronger as the pendulum swings to and fro, and all. 
Savior's hand And then we danced on the water With my head on her shoulder She swore to never let me fall It wouldn't time seem so kindly If every bright-eyed girl could be more like you And shelter me from that wrecking Big thanks to Andrew and Emily of Mandolin Orange. They have a new record coming out February 1st called Tides of a Teardrop on Yep Rock. Check it out. They already have a single up on Spotify. It's awesome. If you want to hear more from them, head over to thebluegrasssituation.com and check out a special video of Mandolin Orange performing an impromptu duet with the Scandinavian folk duo My Bubba in their dressing room. By the way, My Bubba may be my favorite musical discovery of the last five years. One of the Swedish gals who sings in the band is also a train conductor when she's not touring. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at itunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail.